Hey, spooky people! Welcome back to your favorite spooky podcast. What is it? <laughs> Unknown Compelling Force! Oh my god, who are you? I'm Emily, who are you? I'm Marissa. Oh my god. Are we ready to do this thing? I'm so excited. I, this I'm is a topic we wanted to do for a while. I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I think, like, since before, like, since we were thinking about doing a podcast, we were mm-hmm. like, this is definitely one we need to cover. Yeah. And now we have a fancy official microphone instead of a conference mic, so we're really moving up in the world of <laughs> podcasting, I guess. Yeah, I'm afraid you're going to just break out into karaoke at some point and rip the microphone off the stand. <laughs> I did literally just do that five minutes ago while we were doing the mic test. I was singing Piano Man. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Just Day. <laughs> it, it is what I do. It's kind of my thing. Um, before we get into the content, is there anything in our lives we feel like sharing? Not that we're that type of podcaster, but sometimes interesting stuff happens. Anything been going on lately? Not good. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, mediocre, I guess you could You know, say. I, I will say, recently I got, like, my phone updated or something, and now I get notifications from this news app that I didn't even know I had, and they just, like, drop a little headline of, Breaking! Another person got shot in Rochester. And, oh, like, shit. And, like, shit like that's going on. And so, I mean, we had someone get shot down our street a few weeks ago, and, I mean, other than that, like, we live in a pretty safe neighborhood, but now I'm getting all these notifications of people getting shot, and I'm like, damn, I guess this is happening more than I thought. I get, I get those notifications through the Ring, the, or it's the Neighbors app, but it's, like, associated with Ring. Yeah. Um, there was just another shooting the other day on, like, South Clinton app. Yeah. I heard it. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. It's really hard here in the summer now that people, like, now that fireworks are legal. Yeah. Because, especially last summer, when all the, like, riots and protests were going on, we never knew if there were gunshots or fireworks. Yeah, you can't tell. And now it's the same. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I was like, oh, wow, those fireworks were really close. But yeah. then we saw all the police cars. I was like, oh, whoops. Yeah, it's like, wait, like, do I call the cops? Like, how never do I know? call the cops. <laughs> That's true. I just sat there. I was like, huh, gunshots. Back to work. Anyway, <laughs> unpause the TV. Don't talk to me. I'm binging Teen Wolf. I, okay, that's an important thing going on in my life. I did really do a lot of soul searching, and I came to the conclusion that I was emotionally available enough to rewatch Teen Wolf, so that's what I've been doing. And props to you, honestly, because yeah. I'm still on the fence. Like, I don't know if I can do it. It's, it's garbage, <laughs> but it's garbage that I love with every fiber of my being. But, like, you know, I, like, just really want to punch... Allison in the face. I because she just pisses me off. So. I literally love Allison. I stopped watching the show shortly after. Oh, um, okay. Spoiler <laughs> alert! In case you haven't watched Teen Wolf, that's been on the air for like ten and a half years. Um, after she died, I literally stopped watching. I like posted on Facebook about it like six times. I was like, "Don't fucking touch me." I love Allison. They just no, oh, I can't. Oh, she pisses me off. The disrespect. And I also do want to mention before we start that it's so fucking hot in here. I'm literally, like, rolling up my leggings. I'm, like, sweltering. I can feel the sweat. Like, you know, we're sitting crisscross. Yeah, we're sitting crisscross on the ground. I can feel it in my the pits of my knees. Knee pit. Yeah. In case you needed any more evidence that we are just really attractive and very cool, here it is. We're sitting here with Danny DeVito surrounded by paint and fabric scraps. We call this room, like, three different things. It's the podcast room, it's my sewing room, it's the cat room, it's a lot of different things. Yeah. It, and it's in the middle of, like, being turned into a podcast slash craft room, but right now it just looks like a trash room. It, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
That hurts my feelings. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a big sewing project. I'm trying to make a dress. It's not going well. <laughs> Hashtag pissed. Okay. Anyway, that's enough about our lives. I know you guys don't really care. So <laughs> I don't even really care. <laughs> People ask me how I'm doing. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> What's going on in your life, Marissa? I don't know. I really don't know. And I don't care. I'm just here I'm... right now. Nothing's real. I am just a barnacle on the boat of life. Whatever. Anyway, what's our topic today, Em? There's subtopics. Our main topic... Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. So We, we both have a, a separate topic under the umbrella topic of... The Cecil Hotel. That's right. The Cecil Hotel. I was waiting for you to do that because I don't know how to do that. You don't know how to say bip bam no, Not like that. Like the... Yeah, no. Anyway... It's been really popular again in the media lately since Netflix dropped the documentary A Killing at the Cecil Hotel or whatever. Oh, fuck yeah. That was great. And yeah. Zach Bagans went to the Cecil Hotel, too. Yeah. So um, we watched the Netflix documentary because it was a case that we were really interested in and have been for a while. And then we watched the documentary. It went on way too long. It I know. Went, you got really bored. <laughs> I really... First of all, I have ADHD. I literally cannot sit and watch things without also scrolling on my phone. Which plus, is what happened. Plus, we already knew so much of the information. And that's, that is the thing, is that I knew so much about the case already, and then I watched the, ne- the it really just dragged out a lot of things. I don't know. I'm not here to review Netflix, okay? It's just, we have recently watched The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel on Netflix, and it, I mean, I, I finished it, but. Yeah, a lot of people have watched it lately, and since it's kind of relevant again, yeah, here we are. Shit. Hell yeah. Should we kind of just start with some basic info on the Cecil Hotel? Yeah, just in case nobody knows what that is, and if you don't, you're, I guess you're living under a rock or something. Or you're just not in the weird parts of the internet we're on. <laughs> anyway, the Cecil Hotel is big hotel in downtown Los Angeles, California. It was opened in, like, 1924. Mm-hmm. Got totally fucked up by the Depression. Yep. So it was, like, first built to be, like, a fancy hotel for travelers, but then Skid Row which is a homeless encampment. It's like four miles. Yeah. Four square miles. It's huge. Sidewalks full of homeless people, tents, tarps, sleeping bags, tarps. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like its own little city within the city. Yep. But it brought the area down. When other people got hit by the depression and started setting up camp outside, that's kind of what happened. So it became kind of a budget hotel for people to stay at for short or long term on the side of the building. We have probably seen pictures of it. The big sign that goes down the side of the building that says the Cecil. Mm-hmm. And it used to have big font said monthly rates, but now I guess yeah. it's gone. It just says daily. Yeah. But it used to say monthly, which is fun. Uh, so people would stay there short or long term. Even now, I think they still have long term rooms, right? Um, it's like almost like an apartment situation. Yeah, I know what they... What happened was they like turned half of the hotel into like a um, place for people that are, um, you know, don't have the money and don't have a place to live. It's, like, something for them to be able to get shelter in. And then the other half was still the hotel. Mm-hmm. So there was, like, two, only two elevators, I think, and, like, one led to one side and one led to the other or something. Oh, that's, that's relatively new, though, right? Because yeah. they, they rebranded themselves Yeah, and after... it's not called the Cecil anymore. Part, I think part of it still is. It's kind of confusing. Yeah. So part of it is, I think, still the Cecil Hotel, and their website is still Cecil Hotel. And now but, it's the, 
the other side is stay on main. Yep, the stay on main, because they're on Main Street, I guess. But after the horribly tragic and dark history of the building, they rebranded themselves because the Cecil Hotel was just not a good name. Because somehow they thought people wouldn't know that it's the Cecil. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It still literally says it on the side, but, you know. And just considering the amount of shit that went on there, it's like, how do you think that people are not going to realize what this building was? Yeah. You know? People people still know. Yeah. No, that's ridiculous. I understand the rebranding, but they're not fooling anybody. (laughs) Uh... So, yeah, part of it is still acting as a budget hotel, kind of like a hostel situation. Especially for, like, people um, traveling from outside the United States. That was a huge destination, and I don't know if it still is. The interesting part of the Cecil, though, is, like we said, the the dark history. Oh, yeah. That since it was such a cheap place and a lot of people were able to kind of come in and out undetected. I mean, it's a 19-story building. It's got, like, 700 rooms. Yep. Like, most of them don't have security cameras, especially, you know, back before security cameras were really a thing. So it was, you had drug lords, rapists, serial killers Mm -hmm. all staying there. So there are a lot of famous cases associated with the Cecil, obviously. We're each going to talk about one. Some of the ones we are not talking about but are definitely notable, Jack Unterweger? Yep was an Austrian serial killer who stayed there. I think he went there to flee yes, Austria because he, because because he had was a killed a bunch of people in Austria. Yeah, so he's he like, was... you know what? Let me hit up the United States. Yeah. And then he started killing people here. And, and they were like, wait a minute. And where else does a serial killer in the United States stay besides the season? California. <laughs> true. Oh, <laughs> that's so true, though. <laughs> it's all in California. It really always is. Especially it's, in the 70s. It's either California or New York City. Yeah, because we had, in California in the 70s, we had, um, not just in the 70s, even before that, we had Zodiac. We had um, Ted Bundy was in there for a little while. Golden State Killer. Richie, who I'm going to talk about. Um, Did you just call him Richie? Yeah, that was his nickname. Stop (laughs) romanticizing the Night Stalker. I'm not! He was gross. Anyway, I am a big fan of Jack Unterberger, the Vienna Strangler. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, he's interesting. The Black Dahlia associated also her name was elizabeth short it's not really she she was not really named black dahlia uh but she was seen there a few days before her body or parts of her body were discovered yeah apparently she was seen outside like after she had tried to contact someone on the phone or something they saw her outside the hotel yeah that's pretty much it which my little soapbox about the black dahlia the only reason she's famous is because she was pretty it was a pretty standard murder case, but yeah. she was pretty, so it was famous. A pretty white girl. Yeah. In the 20s, 30s. Anyway. There were not only murders. I mean, there were a lot of, a lot of murders. A lot of rapes happened. The Yeah. The, there was some woman named the Pigeon Lady. I forget oh, her real name. Yeah. But the Pigeon Lady was raped and murdered in one of the rooms. Completely unsolved case. There were a lot of overdoses. A lot of suicides. A lot of suicides. Actually. Like, people jumping. Yep. Off the balcony. And there was one person who committed suicide by jumping out a window or off the roof, I think out a window, and landed on someone yes. down below, and they and both died him. instantly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. I think she fell from, she, well, she didn't fall, she jumped from, yeah. like, the ninth floor or something. Yeah. I don't think it was really that, I mean, that's far up, but. But also, like, throwing people out windows was also a, yeah. a common thing. Basically, all of this trauma, obviously, this place is said to be 
mad haunted. Oh, yeah. Like, it's one of the most haunted places in Los Angeles, which makes sense because places that kind of, like, take a lot of your emotional energy end up being the place that your soul sticks to and haunts. And there was probably a lot of emotion going on in that building. Like, yeah. a, probably a lot of fear, anger, sadness, hopelessness. Like, people are I'm committing sure it's all suicide, negative. Yeah. you know. It's all negative. Don't, don't know if anyone was positive. happy there. No. <laughs> no, not even, like, the staff. Right. <laughs> They're probably like, I hate my fucking job. So... That's just kind of, like, an overview of the dark, dingy yeah. sadness of the Cecil Hotel. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. So maybe by, you know, the early 2000s, it was not as bad. They'd, they'd rebranded, you know, people were trying to stay there again. It, it wasn't they tried. as bad. Nothing was like the 70s, okay? No. It'll never be, it'll never be like the 70s. I love when Gen X and, like, boomers are like, back in my day, kids got to stay out all the time. And I'm like, yeah. Hence, serial killers. Yeah, back in your day, y'all went hitchhiking so much, y'all were getting killed all over the place. Right? They were like, we could hitchhike anywhere. Yeah, but how many of you made if it you wanted the, Yeah, if you wanted a 50-50 chance of getting killed. Like, <laughs> if you don't have anything else to add about the actual Cecil, we would like to direct our energy into a specific case. Yeah, I'm ready to get into it. Are you I'm ready to really spaghetti? excited. All right, go off, sis. Ooh, okay. What you gonna tell me about today? All right, so I'm gonna tell you the story all about how my life got flipped, <laughs> turned upside down. Right. Oh, shit. I'm going to tell you the story of one of the most infamous serial killers that has been rumored to stay at the Cecil Hotel. I'm sure most of you know who he is. His name is Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. The Night Stalker. He was known as a couple other things, too, but he, Richard really seemed to like the Night Stalker one. Um, of course he And did. you'll see how he expressed that. Dude, if on. I was a serial killer and people started calling me a dope-ass name, that's definitely the one I would go I mean, with. yeah, the Night Stalker, that's actually pretty creepy. I'd be like, don't talk to me. I'm not Marissa. I am... Sad Trash. Sad Trash. <laughs> my serial killer name would be Sad Trash. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna eat my chicken wings, so if you hear me eating, no, you don't. ASMR. <laughs> Mukbang. <laughs> this is gonna be a lot of information. Buckle your seatbelts. Click. It's gonna be a wild ride. Ricardo Leva Munoz Ramirez. I'm sorry, I'm not Spanish. I am so white. <laughs> Richard was born on February 29th in 1960 in El Paso, Texas, and he was the youngest of five children. His father, um, Julian, or Julian, I don't know, I've heard it pronounced either way, was a Mexican national and a former crusader, like Juarez policeman. Mm. And uh, he was just a very violent man, and he often had a lot of violent outbursts, and he would resort to physical abuse. Um, when what? He, when he In was the angry. 60s and 70s? <laughs> From a policeman? No! <laughs> so he kind of started to grow up in a household where his father would, you know, abuse them. And at the age of five, Richard was knocked unconscious by a swing. Um, and this was only one of many injuries he has had taken to the head okay so that's unfortunate yeah um and after this hit specifically <laughs> uh he began to experience epileptic seizures and this was just like i said it was just one of multiple occasions where he actually was knocked unconscious so around the age of 12 richard really looked up to his older cousin miguel um who was a green beret combat veteran and i guess because you know he didn't 
really have a male figure to look up to because, you know, he didn't like his dad. His dad was abusing them. Right. So he really looked up to Miguel. He thought he was really cool and he was a veteran, but Miguel would, like, constantly brag about his violent tendencies uh, during the Vietnam War and he would even share photos, like, not just with his friends but with Richard, who was only, like, 12 at the time. He would share photos it was really specifically women. He would rape women and then behead them, and he would share photographs of this with Richard. Yeah, that sounds right. So he would be, like, in the photos posing with the severed head of dead Vietnamese women. Jesus Christ. And he was proud of it, and he showed Richard it, and he was like, look how cool this is or something. I don't fucking know. And Richard really bonded with his cousin over these stories. Like, I, I guess, <laughs> well, if you're a boy, and you're at that age, you're like, yeah, violence is cool, guns, yeah. Hell you know, yeah. Some boys don't grow out of that. And Miguel also taught Richard military skills that he had learned while he was deployed, so he taught him stealth and, like, how to be really sneaky. The, Miguel just really shaped Richard, and not in a good way. And so around this time, 12 years old, he started to sleep in cemeteries because he was trying to escape the abuse of his father, and um, I don't really know why he chose cemeteries. Maybe because it's quiet? I don't know. It's or... <laughs> quiet, and all the people there can't really hurt you. Yeah, and they can't speak. I don't fucking know. Who knows? On May 4th in 1973, Richard actually witnessed his cousin Miguel fatally shoot his wife in the <gasps> face during a domestic dispute. Oh my god! And after this whole incident, Richard really, like, withdrew from his family even more than he already was, and even from his schoolmates and everyone, and he ended up moving in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto. Roberto. Roberto, who was his sister's husband, was also a piece of fucking shit, evidently. He was a peeping Tom. (laughs) Yes, he was a peeping Tom, and he would take 12-year-old, maybe he was like 13, 14, he would take prepubescent Richard, on these little peeping Tom visits. Jesus Christ, this guy didn't stand a chance. No. Oh my God. From the very beginning, he was fucked. I just want- And, um, so after this, he started using LSD. <laughs> at, at that age? Yes, about, oh you know, God. 13, 14, around that age, he started using LSD. And, um, at this time, uh, he also started to get into Satanism. Mm-hmm. I did read that he had attended, like, a Jehovah's Witness sort of thing, and they had talked about Satanism briefly, and he was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Oh, no. That's the one. You know, it's like the D.A.R.E. program, when they're like, I dare not to do drugs. These fourth graders didn't know what drugs were until you told them all about them, and now they're like, you know what? That sounds fun. Yeah, that's what Richard was like. He's like, Satanism? That sounds awesome. (laughs) But regarding his cousin Miguel, he was actually found not guilty of his wife's murder in 1977 uh, by reason of insanity. And if that's not insane enough, he only spent four years in a Texas state mental hospital. What? Are you kidding me? Major insanity. Jesus. So eventually Richard got a job, and I guess by now he was, you know, 16, 17. He got a job at a Holiday Inn where he would use his passkey to rob people. Well, yeah. Saw that coming. (laughs) Eventually, he lost this job, and do you want to know why? Because he was robbing people? (laughs) Worse. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, He eventually lost this job after he had broken into 
the room of a couple, but only the wife was there. He had attempted to rape her in her hotel room, but her husband, thank God, showed up just in time, saw Mm -hmm. him trying to attack his wife, and beat the shit out of Richard until the police came. Hell yeah, husband. And that will not be the first time in his life that he gets beat up by a bunch of strangers. That sounds right. Yeah. Anyways. (laughs) So Richard wasn't charged with this because... The couple was actually from out of state, and they really just didn't want to return just to testify against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just got away with it. What the fuck? Dude, I bet those people feel bad now. I know, right? Like, they could have prevented Yeah, in a way, like, he would have already had this on his record. So, yeah. like, when, you know, police were looking through people with previous records of, like, you know, raping women. Yeah, I, or even uh, if he, he was, been like, there. even if he was, like, in prison then he may not have, I don't know, it's like the butterfly effect. Things yep. wouldn't have gone the way they did. Yeah, 100%. So Richard dropped out of high school in ninth grade, and at the age of 22, he ended up moving to California, and by now he was also frequently not just using LSD, but he was also using cocaine, and he was he was also using marijuana, but, like, yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's not really noteworthy because everyone smokes, yeah, and that's literally. not going to contribute to anything. But him doing LSD on top of cocaine and, you know, other things, like, that's going to do it. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and like, what's he going to smoke weed and take a nap? <laughs> Eat some munchies. Yeah, there you go. So he also started to sell drugs to make the money to buy drugs to <laughs> consume. <laughs> okay. And he was arrested a couple of times for marijuana possession, but, like, that's very... Like, who gives a shit, you know? It's a slap on the wrist. And it it's believed that Richard was only, like, 24 when the killing first began. Okay. Now I'm gonna just sort of do a play-by-play of what went on within this year and a half, two-year period. Let's get into it. So, his first murder was in 1984, but he wasn't identified as the killer until 2009. Weird. Um, which is crazy, right? Yeah. Because they did find DNA at the scene, but obviously back then we didn't have the sort of technology we do today where we were able to match DNA like that. But anyway, on April 10th, 1984, Richard murdered nine-year-old Mei Lung. What? I'm so sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, His first murder was a nine-year-old? Yeah. Jesus Uh, Christ. Yeah, Mei Lung, um, she was only nine years old. He murdered her in the basement of a hotel he was living in. Which I don't think was the Cecil, because it would have been major news. I was going to say, wait a second. (laughs) I'm seeing a pattern evolve here. It was like a... But it was kind of like the Cecil, because I think it was where people would stay for long term. He ended up raping her, and he beat her before stabbing her to death, and he ended up hanging her body from a pipe. What the Yeah, and then I think it was the following day that the janitor or whatever, the guy that, like, fixes things, came down and saw that. And this went unsolved until 2009 when they were like, oh shit. Oh my Richard god. Richard did it. Yeah. It's crazy. That's so upsetting. And the thing about Richard Ramirez is just usually serial killers have an MO. They have a certain way of doing things, they have a certain victim type. Mm-hmm. Richard didn't give a fuck. He just murdered whoever the fuck came in his path. And that's what's crazy about him. You know, like Ted Bundy, it was college girls. John Wayne Gacy, it was little boys, you know, like, right. It, like, there's it's always like there's, a type. Yeah, there's like a demographic that they fit, yeah. and there's usually a reason. 
Yeah, but for him, it was just, like, whoever was there. And that's what's unbelievable about this guy. So that happened in April. And on June 28th of that year, 79-year-old Jenny Vinkow was found murdered in her apartment in L.A. And she had been stabbed multiple times while she was sleeping in bed. And her throat was slashed so deeply, she was almost decapitated. Jeez. And Jenny's son, Jack, was actually the one to find his mother. And I can't even imagine that how horrifying that is that's your mom yeah because he i guess he went over to visit her and he had noticed a window screen was missing from the front door and the front door was unlocked so he's Mm -hmm. like what what's up and richard's fingerprint was found like on the mesh screen and it was taken into evidence but obviously this was the 80s right i didn't really have that (laughs) and then on march 17th of 1985 so he actually stopped for a while happy st patrick's day (laughs) He actually stopped for a while, but I, I do want to mention in between these killings, he, he was stealing cars, he was carjacking, um, he, he was... He found other crimes. Yeah, he was doing things in between. He was do a lot of, there was a lot of, like, attempted rapes and rapes and stuff that didn't lead to, like, people dying. So it wasn't really, but like... either a, way, he was falling back into the sweet, loving arms of crime. Yep. There was, like, no cooling off period, it, like, just because... This one was in 1984, and the next one was in 1985. He was still doing stuff in between. Just not murder. Yeah. Okay. So, on March 17th, 1985, uh, 22-year-old Maria Hernandez was attacked outside her home by Richard. And she was basically pulling up into her garage, and when she had gotten out of her car, he was there, and he had pointed a gun at her face. And he pulled the trigger, like, shot at her face. But she had, you know how, like, your instinct is to, like, cover your face with your hands? Right. She had her keys in her hands. <gasps> and the bullet ricocheted off her keys in her hands that were in front of her face. And that's what saved her. What a badass story. Yeah, ex- except. Oh, no. Her roommate was home, and her name was Dale Yoshi Okazaki, and she was 34, and she had heard the gun go off. Right. Um, and I guess she was in the kitchen at the time, and she heard the gun go off, and I guess she was in the kitchen at the time, so she had ducked behind a counter. But Richard had already entered the kitchen, and Dale, like, you know, peeked her head up to see who was there, and Richard fucking shot her in the face. Oh my god! Yeah. And I'm- he definitely got these, like, aim skills from his cousin, so, like, fuck that guy. First of all. And within hours of killing Okazaki, uh, he was in Monterey Park, which I think is still in L.A., I don't know, uh, where he jumped a 30-year-old woman named Sai Lian Yu and pulled her out of her car. He shot her multiple times before fleeing in the car, and Yu actually died shortly after, unfortunately. And, like, since this all happened on the same day, within Mm -hmm. hours of each other, like, media was going nuts. Yeah. Um, and wi- there had been witnesses, and they had described uh, Ramirez as a bulgy-eyed, wide-spaced, rotting tooth of a man. I love <laughs> that description, but also, like, if you're trying to make a description so people can keep an eye out and try to find someone who fits that description, maybe leave the hyperboles elsewhere. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, his teeth were rotting out of his face, so... Oh, rip. And uh, that actually did make his breath smell so unbelievably foul. I can imagine. Because, you know, it's not just him, like, because he just sort of forgot that hygiene was a thing. 
And He's too busy killing. Yeah, and so mixed with not brushing his teeth, he also did drugs. Right. So and that also didn't help. It's a shock he had any teeth at all. Yeah, I mean, by the time he was caught, he really didn't have much. Ew. <laughs> and so on March 27th, Richard broke into a home, and this is still in 1985, um, Richard broke into a home that he had previously burglarized, so he was familiar with it, and he ended up killing 64-year-old Vincent Charles Zara with a shotgun while he slept in bed. And his wife, Maxine, who was 44, woke up to the shot, and Richard bound her hands while demanding to know where the valuables were. He tore apart the bedroom, and Maxine managed to escape her bonds and had grabbed a shotgun that was under the bed, but it wasn't loaded. And obviously this made Richard really angry, and he shot her three times, and then he used a carving knife to stab her and gouge her eyes out. (gasps) Jesus! And he actually took those eyes and put them in a jewelry box that she had had, and he took that with him as a little trophy. So I knew that he was a murderer and he was a serial killer. I specifically did not watch the Netflix docuseries about him because I wanted Which was to... really good, by the way. I know. I heard it was so good and I want to watch it, but I wanted to hear it all from you first so I could, like, react in real time to all of this. I had no idea how fucking gruesome yeah. he was. That... It's crazy. Like, he just didn't care who these people were. It didn't matter just, how old like, they are. the mutilation and just the, like, brainless violence. Yeah. There's just, just for no fucking reason at all. It's, it's He could have so taken disgusting. the valuables and just left, yeah. you know? What a sick fucking human. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> Richard, being a little bit of a dumbass that he is, had left footprints from a pair of Avia sneakers in the flower beds of the home and the police ended up making a cast of them and this footprint this shoe specifically will become like a huge part of how they figured out who it was interesting um okay. he wore these dumb avia sneakers like to every almost every crime crime scene there's not um, there's not and they all also the bullets that were found at the scene were matched to the previous attack so they were starting to be like you know, I, I I think there's something going on here. I think there might be a serial killer. You think? <laughs> there took him long enough. <laughs> I, I want to talk about the shoe thing for a second. Um, my mom <laughs> is so into true crime that when <laughs> she wanted for the two of us to go over to my brother's apartment and like prank him for April Fool's Day. And she was like, we're gonna go, like, she wanted to do something to his car. Like, she wanted to, like, leave something on his windshield or something like that. I don't even remember what it was. She's like, but we have to, like, we gotta wear different shoes. We gotta wear shoes that are, like, four sizes too big. So if there's there's footprints, he'll never know it was us. I'm like, if Dylan gets up in the morning and sees something on his windshield, he's not immediately gonna start looking at the footprints, Mom. He's gonna know it was you immediately. Like, there are only six (laughs) people in our town. (laughs) But she was thinking. That was... I was like, Mom, you're so... extra that is how you do it you gotta wear shoes that do not match the size of your feet my mom's a psycho anyways how to get away with murder shout out amy love you (laughs) i love amy oh my god um anyway sorry (laughs) go on so yeah the police at this point were like yeah there must be a serial killer on the loose you think (laughs) so on may 14th of that year he had entered the home of a man named bill doy D-O-I-Dwa-Dwa-Doi. Doi. 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 
who was 66, and his wife, Lillian, who was 56. And Richard shot Bill in the face and then beat the shit out of him. And then after this, he had bound Lillian with thumb cuffs. What the fuck? Which, to this day, I still don't really understand what they are used thumb, for. Thumb cuffs. Yeah, I seen, like, a picture of them in the documentary. I was like, what the, what the fuck? How strange. Well, he just had thumb cuffs on him? What? I have a <laughs> lot of questions, but mostly just what the fuck? <laughs> thumb cuffs. <laughs> but, yeah, um, apparently he put these thumb cuffs on her. And, unfortunately, he did rape her. And he ransacked the home, too, because apparently that wasn't enough. And Bill ended up dying of his injuries uh, in the hospital. And I think Lillian, besides, you know, being traumatically scarred, came out of it okay. But She physically recovered. Yeah. Mentally, I don't think so. I can't imagine. Only a few weeks later, on May 29th, Richard had driven a stolen car to the house of Mabel Bell, who was 83... And, okay, this shit really gets me riled up because I fucking love old people. That's, this is how, that's how I felt when you said nine-year-old. I was immediately like, no. I know, I love how for me it's just like, I will beat the shit out of anyone that does anything to old people. <laughs> like, but, like, they're already so close to the <laughs> finish up. line. Like, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Mabel Bell, who was 83, and her disabled sister, Florence, also lived with her, and she was 81. Uh, he had tied... Mabel up and beat her with a hammer before using an electrical cord to shock her. <gasps> what the fuck? Yeah, and then he went to rape Florence. He raped her and then he used lipstick to draw a pentagram on her thigh and then on the walls of the bedroom. And both women were found alive two days later, but unfortunately, Mabel had succumbed to her injuries. That's so fucked up. Yeah, I can't. Imagine being, like, the survivor of that. Like, the trauma and guilt. Yeah. That's that's unimaginable. And, like, to be, like, those women were in in their home for over a day waiting for someone to come find them. That's... They were alive. Oh, my God. See, that's why I am much happier living in the city than I was in the country. Because I was like, literally where I lived, no one would hear me scream. Yeah, no. No one would come by. Like, here, if I got attacked, if I laid in my house screaming long enough, someone would come. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Ugh. So, the following day, uh, Richard ended up sneaking into the home of Carol Kyle, who was 42, and her son, who was 11. He ended up binding both of them with handcuffs, and he tore apart the house. Uh, He had released Carol, and told her to show him where the valuables were uh, before he ended up raping her, not just once, but multiple times. And apparently he told her not to look at him while he raped her, or he would cut her eyes out. What the fuck? I mean, both Carol and her son did survive. Once Richard fled, the mom told the son to go and find neighbor, and go get the neighbors. Again, as soon as you said 11-year-old, I went, no, 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 no. I can't even imagine. And, like, this kid, 11 years old, he's supposed to be, you know, he's a, her son, he he thinks of himself as someone who should be protecting his mother, and he's sitting there and he can't do anything about it. Like, that's absolutely terrifying. Oh, God. On July 2nd, he drove to the house of a woman named Mary Louise Cannon, who was 75. He beat her as she slept with a lamp, and then he stabbed her repeatedly with a butcher's knife that he had found in her kitchen. Oh, my. 
And um, unfortunately, she did die, and she was dead when the police arrived at the scene. And then on July 5th, <laughs> three fucking days later, Richard broke into the home of 16-year-old Whitney Bennett, and he beat her with a tire iron as she slept. Okay, a lot of this just seems like he's very weak. Like, he's taking advantage of people who are children, who are old, who are, who are disabled, and who are sleeping. Like, you sh- how many people has he murdered in their sleep when they could not fight back? Like, <laughs> Almost he, all of them. He attacked a husband and wife, shot the husband in his sleep because he knew he was the only one who could yeah. have taken him. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, because Richard wasn't, like, he was a f- he, frail He didn't dude. seem like a big guy. No. And I mean, I, I'm not gonna front, it's a smarter way to go about it. But literally, why? Where's your honor, sir? At least murder people who can fight back. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> or have actual honor and no, yeah, don't he, murder people. <laughs> I mean, basically he was just a pussy, but anyway. Yeah, he seems like a big oh, he was fucking a, puss. He was a major pussy. So, he broke That's into... That's little dick energy right there. <laughs> Killing people in their sleep, little dick energy. I diagnose you with small pee-pee. I diagnose you with small pee-pee. <laughs> so, like I said... Three days later, on July 5th, he broke into the home of 16-year-old Whitney Bennett, and he beat her with a tire iron as she was sleeping. He then attempted to strangle her with a telephone cord, but he said that he was really surprised to see sparks from the cord when he was trying to do that. Oh, what the fuck? And she was still breathing, so he kind of freaked out and fled the house, and he told officers that Jesus had intervened and saved her. Um, there's electricity. That's not... I mean... I mean, whatever made her not die, you know? Honestly, yeah, that's... I'm not gonna argue with it. Just because of, like, a crazy spark, you know? That's crazy. Okay. And she did survive. Hell yeah. But she needed 478 stitches to... To sew up all the wounds on her oh head. Oh, God. On her scalp. See, this, what I'm about to say is a little bit controversial, I suppose. If that were to happen to me, I would rather just die. A lot of people would. Like, in her situation, I would literally rather that I died instead of having to live with that. Like, that happening. Yeah. I no, would never yeah. feel safe or comfortable or happy again. Yeah, no. I, honestly, I think I agree with that because... Uh, I have such a hard time dealing with any sort of insignificant trauma as it right. is <laughs> that I just can't, I don't even know how these people did it. They're just, I'm like, sorry, um, somebody yelled at me yesterday, so I'm going to need the day off today. Literally, though. <laughs> literally. And then on July 7th, so literally just two days later, <clears throat> Richard broke into the home of a woman named Joyce Lucille Nelson, who was 60, and she was asleep on her couch and he beat her to death with his fists and by kicking her in the head. Jesus Christ. And a shoe print from his Avia sneaker (gasps) Ah. was left on her face. And then right after this, he entered the home of Sophie Dickman, who was 63. He assaulted and handcuffed her. He tried to rape her. Okay, so when I read this, it said he tried to rape her, so I don't know if he, like, I don't know what happened if he got spooked, like, if he couldn't get it up. Something happened. And luckily... This woman was not raped. Limp dick saves lives. (laughs) Yeah, luckily, he only ended up stealing her jewelry. Okay. 
and Dude, like when I thought someone broke into our house the other day and I literally just yelled into the house like if you want the TV take it just close oh, yeah. the door so the cats don't get out and you're just scaring me because you're making me think that there is somebody in the house <laughs> so he tried to rape her but he didn't and then he stole her jewelry and when she told him that he had everything of value mm-hmm. uh, he told her to swear on Satan I all right bet like okay I'd be like, all right, I swear on Satan. Bye. Yeah. My religion is Zayn Malik's hair in Japan. Zayn Malik's Japan hair. That's my religion. <laughs> we go to church on Friday, question mark? <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyways. Are we talking about One Direction? <laughs> <laughs> Never. Can um, Okay. So then on July 20th, Richard had bought a machete, and he entered the home of 68-year-old uh, Leela Needing and her husband Maxen, Maxen, who was 68, and he hacked them with a machete while they were in bed, and so? then proceeded to kill them by shooting them in the head, and he then decided that he was going to mutilate their bodies with the machete before stealing all their valuables. I mean, at this point, like, he's not invading homes just to steal jewelry. Right. He's invading homes to kill people, and the not stealing even the jewelry- to kill people, but, like- to viciously mutilate people. Yeah. Like, the jewelry thing, the stealing the jewelry thing is a front. It's like, yeah. oh. It's all, like a red herring almost. Yeah, like, oh, we're looking for uh, someone who, like, yeah. a thief who has robbed many, many places. Like, no, yeah. this dude just wants to fucking torture people. Jesus. And then at 4.15 a.m. that same day, he broke into the home of, oh, I'm going to butcher this, Chainarong Kovanan. Actually, I think I did pretty good. And shot him in the head while he slept, killing him instantly. And then he repeatedly raped and beat his wife, Samkid, Samkid. And he bound their eight-year-old son before making Samkid show him where their valuables were. And he also made her swear to swear on Satan that she was not hiding any money from him. Oh, well, <laughs> of all the crazy things he's doing, that's the least crazy. Yeah, it's like, okay, I swear on Satan, whatever. Um... And then on August 6th, he broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson, and he shot Virginia in the face and then shot Chris in the neck before trying to flee. He really <laughs> likes aiming for the face. Yeah, I guess it's... Maybe he's just really, really... He... Shooting the face guarantees there's not going to be an open casket. It guarantees that this person's nearly unrecognizable, that they're not even who they were. That it just takes away so much. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if he was thinking necessarily about that. I doubt no, he cared. No, I know. I just mean it's it's extra yeah. mutilating. It's not like shooting someone in the chest and then they're dead and then it's like, but, but they're still. I don't know. It's just it's so much worse. Like dead is dead, but that's. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I, wonder, I don't know how to explain. I, it. I wonder if it for him it was sort of like a, a way for him to detach. From the situation, because now, mm. like, oh, that doesn't look like a person anymore, you right. know, kind of thing. Like, he lump. can't see their, his face. Like, you know how he told that one woman, like, don't look me in the eyes? Yeah. I think it's that sort of thing. A lot of killers are, like... Because he doesn't see don't a wanna, person. Yeah, they don't want to, like, look in the eyes of their victims. A lot of a lot of serial killers and killers yeah. in general are like that. Okay. He broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson, and he had shot Virginia in the face, and then he shot Chris in the neck before he tried to flee, but... Chris, like the badass he was, fought back, 
but um, Ramirez was able to escape unharmed. Um, both of them did survive. Sick, uh, okay. Yeah, like, she survived being shot in the face. He survived being shot in the neck, um, which is crazy. And then on August 8th, Richard broke into the home of Sakina Abawath, who was 27, and her husband, Ilias, Ilias who was 31. He killed Ilias with a shot to the head before handcuffing and beating Sakina. He forced her to show him where the valuables were before raping her and telling her to swear on Satan that she wouldn't scream during his assault. And the couple had a three-year-old son who entered the bedroom during this and Richard tied him up and continued to rape Sakina. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and Sakina and her son did survive. Um, And then at this point, like, Richard left L.A. because, you know, obviously the media is going absolutely freaking nuts. There's... I'm wondering how the... Like, how many months was this over? This was all really... This was over, like, a 12-month period. Yeah, that's so much to Um, happen within a year or so. Like, that's... I don't understand how he wasn't caught. Like, that's that's crazy to me that he was still out there able to do it and people weren't... And the thing is, is, like, there were a lot of um, sketches done from, like, witnesses. Mm Mm-hmm. None of them looked like him. Of course. Oh, it's like uh, none of them did. Flynn Rider. They can yeah, never get his nose right. They can never get my nose right. <laughs> Literally. But um, so I think that had a major part of it. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so he ended up leaving L.A. after his last attack, because um, you know the media was going nuts, and he headed to San Francisco. And on August 18th of that year, 1985, he entered the home of Peter, who was 66, and Barbara, who was 62. And by the way, this man's name is Peter Pan, and I fucking love it. <gasps> I'm not even joking. Peter and Barbara Pan. Oh my god. Um, I want to live forever. I want to learn how to fly. And it's not good in this one. It's not good in this situation. No! Um, so he shot Peter in the temple and then beat and assaulted Barbara before shooting her in the head. And Richard, again, used lipstick to draw a pentagram and the phrase Jack the Knife um, oh, okay. on the bedroom wall. So, again, he left yet another shoe print at this scene, which obviously matched all the others because he was still wearing those Avia sneakers. Smart. And apparently at this scene, he helped himself to the kitchen for food and drinks. (laughs) Um, Yo, Mia's a murderer, though. Like, he literally just ate everything in their fridge. He left, uh, like cans of soda and stuff out everywhere like he didn't Yo, get imagine shit. that to like if someone had done that today you would have been caught instantaneously that dna is all over that kid uh, oh jesus christ yeah i've seen csi they pull dna off of everything mm-hmm. they can they can pull it off of anything and so at this point detectives looked into like the distribution of these avia sneakers since mm-hmm. they were just like so prominent in this investigation right and they had actually found that only six of them existed in the size 11 and a half in, in that, that area. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, and in a TV press conference, um, the mayor at the time, Diane Feinstein, told the press this information, which was very detrimental. And right. the police were like, what the fuck, bitch? But she ended up telling the press that 11 and a half size Avia sneaker, um, the same gun caliber was used at all the scenes, and t- detectives were really freaking mad at this um, because obviously the killer's going to see this, yeah. you know? And be like, oh, time to get new shoes. Yeah, exactly. And literally that night, Richard dropped his 11 and a half Avia sneakers over the Golden Gate Bridge. 
Of course he did. Yep. God damn it, Diane. Fucking Diane. God damn it, Diane. <laughs> and then on August 24th, he was back in LA and he had entered the home of James Romero Jr. And James James's 13-year-old son was awake at the time and he had heard Richard's footsteps outside. So he, like, obviously ran to tell his parents and, you know, they ran to the windows to see some dude fleeing in a car and they ended up noting the color of the car, mm-hmm. the make, the style, and partial plates. Hell yeah. Yeah. You love to see a 13-year-old hero. Yeah, and then after this, Richard broke into the home of Bill Carnes, who was 30, and his fiance Inez Erickson, who was 29. Um, he shot Carnes three times in the head, which obviously woke Inez, and Richard told her that he was the Night Stalker. So obviously he loved the name. Yeah. Um, and he forced her to swear that she loved Satan while he beat her and bound her with neckties. Um, he raped her and demanded cash and jewelry from her. He told her to swear on Satan that there was no more. And before leaving, he told her, tell them the Night Stalker was here. And Inez was able to untie herself and went to the neighbors for help. And Bill actually managed to survive his injuries, which is fucking crazy. Damn. Because the dude was literally shot in the face like three times. Now we're going to get into the identification of Richard and how... The cops were finally like, wait a minute. Um, So Inez was able to give a really good description of Ramirez to cops, and um, the police had also made a cast of the footprint, like I said. Yeah. And on August 28th, police had found an abandoned car in L.A. where they were able to obtain a fingerprint from the rearview mirror, even though it was evident that Richard had tried really fucking hard to wipe his prints from the car. Right. They managed to get that one single print. Fuck yeah. And the print was positively identified as belonging to Richard. So really, this do all come down to that 13-year-old boy. Hell yeah. Yeah. So on on August 29th, 1985, police released Ramirez's mugshot from, you know, previous auto thefts and uh, marijuana charges. And (laughs) this is my favorite part, man. I'm excited. This is about his capture. This is my favorite fucking part. So on August 30th, 1985, uh, Richard had taken a bus to Arizona to visit his brother and he, honestly, at this time, he was not aware of, you know, the media and how his photo was leaked and, like, oh, he's all over shit. the news. He didn't know this. So he literally left to Arizona. He he was supposed to meet his brother, but he never ended up meeting him for some reason. So he had returned to L.A. on August 31st, and he walked right by officials because they were, like, staking out the outgoing buses figuring that he was gonna flee yeah but bitch he already fled and came back (laughs) that's hysteric that's actually so funny (laughs) so he literally somehow managed to walk right by them and into a convenience store um where he ended up seeing all the papers with his freaking mugshot on it oh my god and a group of elderly mexican women saw him and were like el matador which is the killer in spanish Mm. and like I said, he saw his face on the newspaper. He saw these old people calling him the devil killer. And he said, oh, shit. And he was like, I'm out. And he started to run. Um, he hopped a bunch of fences. He tried to carjack three separate people, but it didn't work. <laughs> That's funny. And he was eventually subdued by a group of people, one of which, like, struck him over the head with a metal bar. And, like, Dude. a bunch of random-ass people held him down, <gasps> beat the shit out of him, 
until police came. That's I love that. I know. And That's literally amazing. literally when um Damn. I don't know at what point it was, it was after he was captured, after he was, you know, found beaten up by a bunch of people, they had to like wrap his head because <laughs> obviously he was hurt. Right. Like, and so there's like I don't know if it's video footage or photographs of like him in the back of the police car with like his head wrapped up. Hell. And it's yeah. just like, bro. Dude, the world fucking hated him. Yeah, so Dude. honestly, that's like the best part is like a bunch of strangers came together and like beat the shit out of this guy that had just fucking Imagine being one of those people. people and you could tell people that you were one of the guys who caught the Night Stalker. That, oh, God. That's dope. That's amazing. And I love all those people. I, it, absolutely amazing. So I'll just talk a little bit about his trial. There's not really much to talk about there. So his first court appearance... Richard had raised his hand, which had a pentagram on it, and he ah. yelled, Hail Satan. Hail Satan. And then on August 14th, 1988, the trial could not begin because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, did not show up. And she was later that day found dead in her apartment. Ooh. And people started to get really nervous. The jurors started to get really nervous. Like, did Richard somehow do this from the inside? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Um, but they did later find out that um, it was her ex-boyfriend that had shot her because oh my then, God. then he went off to a hotel and shot himself. Oh, um, Jesus. So they figured that out. And then on September 20th, 1989, Ramirez was convicted on all charges, which were 13 counts of murder, but he's suspected of more, obviously. Right. Um, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. Oh, damn. And he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. And after he was given this sentence, he told reporters, quote, Big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. That's actually yeah. funny. I mean, that's horrible, but I that's mean, funny. I mean, a lot of serial killers, like, last kind of words are like, what? Like, actually right. kind of, like, funny, but... Yeah, he ne- he never ended up getting to see the inside of that gas chamber because he died of B cell lymphoma in 2013. Oh, goddamn it! At the age of 53, and that's where I also really do not agree with the amount of time that inmates spend on death row. Yep. I don't know. Someone needs to tell me this. Why does it take so fucking long? Um, a lot of it is in case new evidence comes out. It's just because they they were executing people that they later found out were innocent. Yeah, but then and again, in 2009, they found him guilty of yet that nine-year-old yeah, murder, so... Yeah, um, Even more. But also, it's way more of a punishment to say, sit in this fucking cell block for 20 years, then we'll kill you, because otherwise you just skip the punishment and you die. Dying of lymphoma sounds way worse than dying in a gas I know there's, well, like... The thing is, is that he got to live so much longer yeah. than he should have, and that's yeah. not fair. Like... Yeah, but do you think he was having fun? You think he was having a good time? Yeah, because you know what? You know why? Why? You know how, like, there's that whole thing where, like, you know, serial killers attract women? Oh, no. Did he have people sending him letters and marriage proposals? Yes, so he had a shit ton of fans. Thinking Ted Bundy was hot is not a personality. He was not fucking hot. As my mom says, he was hot for his time. Yeah, okay. Anyways. So that must be the explanation about the Beatles too then because yeah. I look at the Beatles and no, I'm yeah. like where? No, that's what it is. Yikes. It's a generational thing. And so he had a bunch of people that would write to him um and pay him visits and eventually he actually ended up marrying a woman named Doreen Leoy in 1996 which by the way what the fuck is wrong with you Doreen? Doreen, we all hate you. <laughs> and then get this. I get for it. 
so many years, Doreen was like, I'm going to kill myself when Ramirez gets killed by the gas chamber. Until <laughs> fucking 2009 when it was confirmed that Richard had killed that nine-year-old girl. Suddenly, Doreen was like, whoop, I'm divorcing him. Oh my god. I'm not even joking. So she ended up divorcing him after this all came out that he ended up killing that nine-year-old girl. Um, Suddenly she wasn't like, I'm going to kill myself because Richard's dying. It was like, fuck you, Richard. You're a killer? (laughs) What? No, not him. (laughs) Not the Night Stalker. Never. Never. That sounds crazy to me. Um, and at the time of his death in 2013, he was actually engaged to a woman named Christine Lee, who was 23 years old and a writer. Jesus. What the fuck is wrong with you, Christine? Christine, we all hate you. <laughs> so, just as a little bit of a wrap-up, um, I wanted to mention that something that I think is really prominent within this whole thing thing about Richard Ramirez is um, that psychiatrist Michael H. Stone refers to Ramirez as a made psychopath, not a born psychopath. And I yeah. 100% agree with you, yep. agree with this man. I think the damage made from him being knocked unconscious so many times not only led him to develop epilepsy, but it led him to developing severe aggression and hypersexuality. Yep. And I believe that the way he was raised, like, I like to say that serial killers they're made it's nature and nurture like there's i mean every sect of psychology will tell you it's nature and nurture yeah. it's never one or the mm-hmm. other everything is both mm-hmm. in pretty much every realm of psychology when people are asking you if it's a or b the answer yeah. is almost always both. both and that's the thing with richard is he was doomed from the day this he yep. was born and yeah it's so um oh. it's so fucked up and it's goddamn tragic. Yeah, and like I said, like, these multiple hits to the head sort of led him to where he was. Uh, on top of, you know, all the abuse abuse and the things he saw from his cousin. Right. But I just wanted to mention, you know, think of football players. Think of the many football players that had taken a bad hit and ended up killing someone. Cough, cough, Aaron Hernandez. And, by the way, I just, when I was reading about Aaron Hernandez. Apparently, this happened literally uh, in April. A former NFL player named Philip Adams killed himself in April after he had killed five people. Yeah. And he played... There's been a a lot of studies done about, like, the brain trauma from playing football. Yeah. And there are people in the NFL who... I forget the name of the brain condition, but there's a brain condition that a lot of NFL players have developed, and a few of them have intentionally not gotten treatment to extend their lives because it's going to kill them regardless eventually but there are a few who said do not give me treatment because i want my autopsy to show that the nfl killed me yeah because the nfl has been covering it up for years and years and years and acting like it's not happening and a bunch of older nfl players developed this brain issue Mm -hmm. and said yeah let it kill me Mm -hmm. so we can prove that it's happening yeah and that's literally just fucking happened is this guy, Philip Adams, he was on a bunch of teams. He was on the San Francisco 49ers. He was on the Atlanta Falcons. He ended up he ended up shooting five people, killing them all. Uh, one was a very prominent doctor. Wow. Uh, I think this all ended up with, like, an hours of standoff between him and police before he was decided to just fucking kill himself. Jesus. So, I, 
actually, um, I don't listen to a ton of true crime like you do, but I was listening to this guy. I just found this guy on YouTube yesterday by accident because I was listening to... What's um, his name? I probably know him. I forget. I, I want to say his name was Mark, but I don't remember. He only said it, like, twice, but I was researching my topic, mm-hmm. and I just looked on YouTube to see if there was, like, something I could, like, play while I was cooking dinner, and I found this guy, and he's just this cute little Irish guy talking about true crime stuff, and I was like, hell yeah, this is everything I've ever wanted. I watched and, so many, I probably know who it is. And he started talking about this case that I just kind of let play while I was cooking, about this guy named Cosmo, I don't remember his last name. Wanda. That, right. <laughs> <laughs> um... But this guy named Cosmo, who, it was pretty much the same thing, that he took a few really, really hard hits in football, and he got, like, a concussion or two, and it changed his entire personality. He suddenly was getting in trouble with the cops all the time for, like, little things, and then all of a sudden, he killed four men that were, like, between the ages of, like, 17 and 21, like, something like that, and he just killed all four of them because he was like, hey, let's pretend to sell them weed, but then kill them for no reason. And it was just that same brain damage thing and it was like the whole point of the video was that this was like the system failed him yeah it's because like he was arrested so many times they knew he had brain damage and they instead of getting him any type of therapy or help they just kept releasing him out into the public and let him kill four people yeah and like when he was like he played a few clips of like the um interrogation and he was like straight up he's like yeah we shot him a bunch of times but he was a big boy he didn't really go down and then we we actually paralyzed him he didn't even die and he was just yelling there screaming so i went over and got the backhoe and just ran him over like he was just so fucking nonchalant yeah and i i think that's really what happened to richard is i mean that mixed in with like the exposure he had to violence at such a young age His fucking cousin showing him, like, beheaded women. How did he not end up in prison? He ended up in a mental institute for four years and then he was That's not enough. That's not enough. I know, especially considering she fucking died, but anyway. Cut off his pee-pee. I, so, I, I'm just very fascinated with him in general. I think he's... I don't want to say one of my favorite because that's a one weird of the thing most to intriguing. Say. He's one of the most intriguing serial killers to me just because there seems to be no motivation behind anything he did. It's just he so didn't care. Sick. He it's didn't so care who sick. it was. He didn't care what gender they were. He didn't care how old they were. He just did it to do it and I just find that so like uncomprehensible. Like it's just it's enough to like look at Ted Bundy and be like, "Oh, he murdered a bunch of college girls. Like why?" But when you're looking, then you look at Richard Ramirez and you're like, he he murdered kids, old people, uh, middle-aged adults. What the fuck? Just literally anyone who was nearby who yeah. he could get his hands on. Yeah. Like, for absolutely no motive, no reason, just random. And they're so grotesque. Yeah. It's, ugh, I truly can't fathom, like, treating any living creature that way. I, I honestly, I don't know. It's That's wild. Nuts. Uh, anyway, shall we lighten the mood with a little bit of dad joke intermission? <gasps> dad joke intermission. I've got a really good one, but I want to save it till the end. Like, my last, I want it to be my last joke. Which bear is the most condescending? Um, I don't know. A panda. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, what you got? Okay, this one isn't, like... A joke that you answer is just like a one-liner but I thought it was funny I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes 
Turns out it was the refrigerator all along. <laughs> Did, wait, that really happened in real life for, like, my entire childhood. My dad thought that my mom was shrinking his clothes in the laundry. <laughs> uh, so he started hanging everything to dry, and we really had to convince him that he was just getting fat. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is my last one. It's relevant. Why are elevator jokes so classic and good? They work on many levels. Oh, no! <laughs> yeah, that is very um, relevant. That will be relevant to my story. <laughs> this one's good. What's the best thing about Switzerland? Ooh. Its flag is a big plus. I hate you. <laughs> How did you, you know? Can't, you can't out-dad joke an actual dad. How did, did you know? I know. Everyone's saying... Um, hot girl summer, but Marissa is saying drunk dad summer. I'm having a drunk dad summer. I'm having a drunk dad barbecue summer. Everyone's invited. Just, like, wear Unless your- Unless you're Doreen. Or Christine. I'm glad you remembered the other girl's name, because I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just roll up wearing your fucking white New Balances, wear your most obnoxious socks. Hawaiian shirts, and your cargo shorts. That have many pockets. Yeah, and that's literally, you get a free burger. Medium wear. Um, we should do that. We should have a party where everyone has to dress up as a dad. I've already done that a lot of times, and I'm down for it again. Sweet. You're all invited to our hypothetical party. <laughs> our dad party. <laughs> if Corona isn't a thing. Here's the thing, though. The obnoxious Hawaiian shirt that I always wear is Corona. Like, the beer. Oh. It has Coronas all over it, so now I feel like I can't wear it. Oh, no. It's bad news, bears. That is bad news. Okay, I feel thoroughly rejuvenated and cleansed after some dad jokes. Definitely. Your definitely. story was uh, pretty gruesome, so... It could have... It, it could use the, the humor yeah. at the end. Okay, so, we're talking about the Cecil Hotel and yes. all of the spooky tomfoolery that goes on there, all yep. the murders, all the rapes, all this and that. Obviously, anyone who's heard the name Cecil Hotel is gonna know the name that I'm gonna say next. Mm-hmm. Elisa Lamb. I'm so excited for this. Was probably one of the most famous unsolved cases in probably like the last 20 years or so definitely so basically the story goes a woman named elisa lamb went missing from the cecil hotel in la and is found dead in a water tank on the roof a little over two weeks later as unsolved cases go that's pretty much par for the course it sounds pretty standard however case gets a lot more interesting when you see the elevator footage oh that shit fucks me up uh if you've been on the internet since, you know, the past 10 years, you yeah. you know the elevator footage. I remember when it first came out and I was, like, a sophomore in high school or something, because it was 2014, right? 13. Yep, 13. Okay, so I was, like, a freshman, and I remember everyone was like, look, did you see this video? This is so creepy. And it was. It was genuinely yeah. so creepy, because you didn't know what was going on. And that's, that's what makes it such a famous case, is cases that blow up like this are because people look at it and say, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, a lot of... You know, relatively clean-cut cases aren't that interesting because you know what happened, it's yeah. been solved. Yeah. But when it's unsolved and there's such weird aspects like there are in this case, it makes it so fucking interesting because obviously all those internet sleuths just go nuts. Definitely, yeah. Like, they take the tiniest little pixel and turn it into a full, you know, ten-minute story. Which is great. I yeah. mean... You'll love to see it. Yeah, you internet really sleuths, do. they do, most time, most of the times, they do good, you know? Here's looking at you, Reddit... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this one's for you. Okay, I want to tell you a little bit about Elisa herself. Yes, tell us. So, she was a 21-year-old college student from the University of British Columbia. So she's from Vancouver in Canada, where she lives with her parents and her sister. And she goes to visit Los Angeles in 2013. 
according to her Tumblr blog, so through this whole thing, like, a lot of the investigation, uh, police looked through her blog that she had on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. So she suffered from bipolar personality dep- disorder and depression, which made, you know, going to college obviously really difficult. Mm-hmm. So she decided to take a little solo trip, and she was just kind of traveling around California, and she had just been to Santa Cruz, landed in Los Angeles on January 26th. Posted on her Tumblr blog pretty frequently, like, pretty much daily about her mental health, Mm -hmm. like, along with just, like, other things from her life and, like, aesthetic pictures. But she was pretty active on her blog the whole time she was there. Yeah. She was in regular phone contact with her parents the whole time, that kind of thing. Like, it wasn't a mysterious trip. Yeah, Like, this was a very planned out A very, like, mental health, like, take a break kind of thing. Yeah. It's cute. So, while she was in L.A., she booked her stay at the infamous Cecil Hotel, which had recently been rebranded as the Stay on Main in downtown mm-hmm. L.A. near Skid Row, which, obviously, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, she called her parents pretty much every day of her trip, so when she did not call on the day she was supposed to check out of the hotel on January 31st, they got really concerned, and they called the L.A. police. Mm-hmm. The police began to search for her body and the surrounding area for Elisa, and then we get into the weird part. And let me just mention, the LAPD fucking suck. Pretty much all suck. Insert city PD suck. Okay. So, that's just, like, the basic storyline. She goes to LA, she disappears. Then it gets fucking weird, Mm -hmm. obviously. So, pretty much right off the bat, the police used scent dogs to inspect the hotel and, like, the surrounding area for any signs of Elisa. Mm -hmm. They couldn't enter any of the other hotel rooms because, like, without like, probable cause that there was a crime going on inside, they couldn't, like, go in. Yeah. So they didn't find much of a scent trail, but there was a little bit of one leaving her room, and then they kind of lost it in the middle of a hallway near a window. Of course, there were no surveillance cameras in the hallway she was staying in, which sounds super smart for such a notoriously dangerous hotel like that. Like, yeah, and this is 2013, so there should be something. Yeah, and there were security cameras in some hallways and in some areas, but not the one that she was staying in. That makes no sense, but okay. Right. So... The police started to talk to the people nearby to kind of, like, trace her path the night that she disappeared. A few girls who she had originally had a shared room with when she first checked into the hotel told the police that they requested Elisa be moved out of the room because of some, quote, odd behavior. So I guess they were in, like, kind of a hostile yeah, situation. Yeah, so, like, she didn't know them or Yeah, anything. so she, like, booked herself for a shared room with other people. Okay. And then they had her kicked out because one source even said she went so far as, like, leaving notes on their beds of things that, like, go home. What the? Yeah. Aw. And, like, sucks. right? And her parents said that, like, that didn't seem like her. Yeah. Like, they, they thought that was kind of strange. So I think that's strange in general. Yeah. But most of the sources just said odd behavior. So. That's strange. She got moved to her own room. Other than that, the only person that really had information on Elisa was the owner of a bookshop, ironically called The Last Bookstore. Ominous. I hate that. Right? <laughs> And she had some sold some books to Elisa. And she described Elisa as being, like, really friendly and outgoing and, like, in a great mood. And the bookshop owner explained that Elisa had been buying books for her family and friends as gifts and was, like, concerned about how many she would be able to carry with her, like, yeah. on her travels. Yeah. So that's kind of the last person, I guess, to, like, remember seeing her live. So after getting pretty much nowhere that way... Police released pictures of Elisa to the public to try to get anyone to kind of, like, come forward with information, and they also released the elevator video, Ooh. which, if you've been on the internet at pretty much any time in the last decade, you've probably seen it. Definitely. It's about a three-and-a-half-minute surveillance video of Elisa wearing a red sweater 
on an elevator at the CISO Hotel, acting very bizarre. So she starts out by, like, hiding around the corner. She's pushing a bunch of buttons. She, like, steps out and steps back and Mm -hmm. is waving her hands kind of down the hallway like she's talking to somebody, but you never see any other person. Yeah, yeah. And... At the beginning, she's acting normally, but then she's stepping into the back into the corner like she's hiding, mm-hmm. and then she's, like, really, like, quickly peeking out and, like, switching her head back and forth, like, checking down both sides of the hallway. Then she steps back in and hides around the corner. She pushes all the elevator buttons. She does this weird, like, square step mm-hmm. where she, like, steps out to the side, back. And then forward again, like like she's like sidestepping. As if, yeah, she was like, doing like in the and out box, of the doorway, the box dancing or whatever. Yeah, like square dance. dancing. Yeah. Um, and then she was out in the hallway, like waving her arms. At first, it just looked kind of awkward, but then at another time, it looks like she's like gesturing at someone, like yeah. she's kind of like talking with her hands. Yeah, like I talk with my hands. You sure all fucking the time, do. So, <laughs> um, but you ne- like I said, you never see another person. And then eventually, she just leaves the elevator and walks away. Mm-hmm. Is not seen again until they find her body. To, to kind of, like, I remember when this footage came out and, like, it scared the absolute hell out of me. And I just, because it's so ominous, it's like, what is she, is there someone that's following her? Like, what is this? Can only she see it? And so, to make it less scary, I like to compare it to um, the movie Elf with Will Ferrell when he goes into the elevator for the Empire State Building and just goes down the whole thing and presses oh, yeah. all the buttons. <laughs> I... I've only seen Elf, like, one time because I hate Will Ferrell, but, like, I know what you're talking about. My family loves that movie. It is kind of like that. Yeah. But not funny, kind of. Yeah, scary, but that's, I try to, like, compare them to be like, okay, that's less scary now, but. Fair enough. It's still scary. So, once this video hit the internet, it was viral. Like, there are millions of views in just the first couple of days in America, Canada, and China. You know, where her family was from, so Mm -hmm. it really blew up in China as well. And obviously people picked apart every, like, second, every pixel and came to a bunch of their own conclusions about what happened, which we will talk about in a little bit. But overall it's just, like, really unsettling footage. There's no sound. You don't actually know if she's even saying anything. Yeah. It looks like she's talking, but you can't see her face enough to know if she is. Yeah. So it's just... And the fact that you never see another person. Yeah. Is, like, is so strange. (laughs) So, since it's L.A. and it's on Skid Row... Elisa's case kind of took a backseat for a little while. About two and a half weeks later, on February 19th, guests at the Cecil Hotel started to complain. That there was low water pressure, the water wasn't coming out, the water was coming out black, or that it Uh, had a funny taste. uh. Yeah. So eventually a maintenance man went up onto the roof to inspect the water tanks, stuck his big ladder up there, climbed up, opened the hatch, and inside one of the four tanks, he found Elisa's body floating face up, naked and bloated with all of her clothes at the bottom of the tank. Can you imagine being that guy? No. That's literally my worst fear. That's the last thing you would expect. It's weird that my entire life I've had such a weird fear of finding a dead body because I know a dead body cannot hurt me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, like, it's one of my biggest fears. Just the idea of finding a body in water is, like, Oh, oh, God, I hate it so much. Well, I mean, it is traumatic, so not yeah. that, it, you know, it doesn't hurt you physically, but mentally, yeah. it affects you. And I think we've talked about this before, but my mom, my mom told me that um, she, when she was little and we, she was down the shore, which is we, what we call the beach in Jersey, <laughs> she found a dead body floating in the water. Stop. I'm not even joking. But yeah, that shit's scary as fuck. I can't even imagine being that guy. Ugh. Hate. Hate, hate, hate. So yeah. 
So the maintenance man said she was floating in about 12 feet of water. The hatch door of the tank was closed and it was really heavy. Honestly, a lot of people have pointed to that as a sign that she didn't do it to herself just because the hatch door was so heavy and she mm-hmm. was treading in 12 feet of water, yeah. she would never have been able to close it once yeah, she got inside. definitely. And there's, like, there are no ladders or steps to get up into the tank, so there's just a whole bunch of reasons that it's very strange that she was in there. However, there were no signs of trauma or struggle, like, no evidence of, like, physical or sexual assault. Like, there was nothing on her body. Yeah. Which is also strange. She was just literally just dead in the tank. Usually, like, usually there's something. Yeah. Like, evidence of drowning or something. Right. Her toxicology report also showed no signs of any party drugs or illicit drugs, but it did show a very small amount of alcohol, but, like, none, not enough to be significant in any way. And other than that, she just had, like, ibuprofen in her system, along with some of her medications for her bipolar disorder and depression, but they were at a lower level than they should have been, meaning that she either hadn't taken them recently or she'd been taking them, like, irregularly. Interesting. Which is, there were three... Right. And there were three different prescriptions that she was on her antidepressant she had been taking Mm -hmm. her mood stabilizer she had been taking but not regularly like there wasn't the right amount Mm -hmm. and then there was an antipsychotic which she had not taken at least the day of her death and i i will say this coming from my experience i take um quite a bit of medication for my depression and stuff so i'm on some antidepressants and also like antipsychotics because they kind of go in with like my ocd and stuff right God, one day I didn't have my medicate one of my medications, and you you'd be amazed at how one little pill can and missing that can affect your your mind. I had a yeah. complete breakdown. Yeah. So I can't, and you you just can't stop medication so suddenly like right. that. So so it's not clear if maybe since she was on her trip she lost one or forgot them somewhere or just hadn't been thinking about it because she was busy being on vacation or if she didn't want to if she forgot like whatever it was Mm -hmm. but there was she had been taking them just not enough yeah which is strange yeah so because of that factor i'm assuming drowning was listed as the official cause of death with bipolar disorder as a factor Hmm. so i want to get into some of just the weird things surrounding this case obviously the elevator video how did she end up in the tank who put her there how did the cadaver dogs not find her hmm Yeah. There's just a lot of bizarre and unexplained things surrounding this case. So, first of all, what the fuck is going on with the elevator video? Uh One of the main theories is that Elisa was paranoid, either from just being in a fucking spooky-ass hotel or from her lack of medication. Possibly both. Yeah. Because if you're not on all the medications you should be, and you're by yourself in a strange place in a notoriously scary place... Yeah, that can fuck you up. Yeah, I can imagine where she would be a little bit paranoid. So, whether she was really talking to someone in the hallway we couldn't see or talking to herself, a lot of people assume that someone else was there that, like, caused her to freak out and act all weird. Mm -hmm. Whether that person actually did something to her or that person was just acting strange. Like, there are a lot of characters in that area of the city. So, it's possible that she just saw some stuff that freaked her out, so she got nervous and was acting a little paranoid about it. And if she was already paranoid anyway, like, seeing just a random person could have, you know, triggered that. Right, and since she ducks around the corner and is, like, 
seems to be hiding in the elevator video. People are thinking that maybe she was, like, trying to escape the person via the elevator, but it wouldn't close. Yeah. Because you can see in the video that the doors stay open for, like, the whole, pretty much the entire Even video. Even after she presses all those buttons. Yeah. And then she walks away, and almost immediately they close. She was, like, you know, going in and out of the elevator. Like, it might have, she might have been trying to, like, trip a sensor and, tr- like, trying to get the door to close or something, which is a possibility. I've definitely stood in front of the wrong door at the grocery store, waving my <laughs> arms around, <laughs> only to find out it says exit, not enter. <laughs> Pulled push doors before, so, you know. <laughs> Another theory, which I thought was really interesting, is that people have suggested she was playing the Korean elevator game which I looked Hmm. into, and it's a game that is supposed to take you to the other world Mm -hmm. by pushing a specific series of buttons for various floors, and, like, at one point, a woman will get on the elevator, but you can't look at her, even if she looks familiar, and even if she calls your name, Mm -hmm. and then eventually you can get out of the elevator into this other world, and the game gained a lot of popularity after Elise's death because people think that she was successful. People think that, like, she was playing this game, like, pushing the buttons and doing what you're supposed to do, and maybe she's popping out and looking around. To see if anything changed. To see if anything changed, or to see if this person who's supposed to get on the elevator... Was coming. ...actually showed up. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a possibility, especially if, again, she wasn't on all her medications. Yeah, definitely. You know? Definitely. Or maybe, maybe she was just being goofed, like, maybe she was just playing this game. I wouldn't do that by myself, or <laughs> at all. That's scary And that's the thing about the game is, though, you have to do it by yourself. Fuck. No. It's like um Bloody Mary. Hell no. I don't I don't deal with that shit. I don't know. I never actually I don't think I ever no, I definitely did do Bloody Mary. Yeah. I Nothing I did Bloody Mary Rip. a few times when we were in high school. But since the elevator never moves, it doesn't seem like she was at least not playing the game correctly. Because in the game you're supposed to push a bunch of buttons, do this, do that, go up to this floor, go back oh, down to yeah, that yeah, floor. Yeah. It's like go up to the you know, 10th floor, and then go down to the 5th floor, don't get out until you get to the 3rd floor, kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. the elevator never moved. So even if that's what she was doing, she wasn't doing it right. Yeah, okay, true. Um, So maybe she was trying, and just, it wasn't working, who fucking knows. But that's a pretty common theory. But some people take it a little farther and say she was playing the Korean elevator game, and she was successful, and she ended up in the other world, and somehow that killed her in a water tank? I don't know what the other (laughs) world is like, but it seems cruel. Yeah, Jesus. Um, some people have suggested, obviously, that she was on drugs, but that she just wasn't. Toxicology confirms that there was nothing in her system yeah. that would have yeah. done this. And some people say, you know, maybe from being in the water so long, they couldn't tell, but that that's not how it works. The toxicologists know what they're doing. I think yeah. they would say that if that were the case. And, of course, a lot of people think that it was paranormal. The first couple times I saw it, I was, like, what, 13 or 14? Yep. And, no. At you were point, a little bit older. Yeah, no, I was, it was definitely, like, age, like 17. Yeah. Okay. But I definitely thought, I was like, yo, she's possessed. Yo, That's there's ghosts out there. She's yelling at a ghost, That's bitch. Something is chasing her. Something is yeah. bothering her. Definitely. That we can't see and the camera can't see. So these people think that, like, she was talking to somebody, but we couldn't see them because it's a fucking ghost, which mm-hmm. would explain her odd behavior and seem, seeming, like, really nervous and freaked out and, like, repeatedly checking the hallways and hiding around the corner. Like, that yeah. would make sense oh, if definitely. you thought that there was some kind of spirit nearby. Or people even point to possession. Like, a yeah. fucking spirit of one of these demons got in her head and was either making her mental illness worse. Because, you know, that that's a thing that, like, a lot of negative spirits will feed on your negative energy. Mm-hmm. First of all, the Cecil is a place chuck full of negative energy. Oh, yeah. And it seemed like Elisa would have been 
a good demon target. Yeah, if you know? you're if you have a vulnerable state of mind, that's it. That makes it easier yep. for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the Cecil Hotel, obviously, that's not a super wild assumption because, like we talked about earlier, it's said to be like super haunted because of everything that's happened there. Mm-hmm. So I guess it wouldn't be that surprising if there are a few ghosties running around. Definitely not, How, considering all the deaths. <laughs> why a ghost would drown someone in a water tank instead of doing something a little spookier, I don't know. So, yeah, that's just the the elevator video in itself. It's like, there's a million ways you can break it down. Some people have really analyzed the timestamp and said that they yeah. were a few minutes removed or that at certain points it was slowed down. Like, the timestamp was slowed down. Yeah. To, like, accommodate for the minutes that it's missing. Because at, at one point she walks out of the frame. Like, she walks out of the elevator doors. Yeah. And then kind of turns down the hallway. But she comes back, like, ten seconds later. I guess, theoretically, could have been gone for who knows how long, and they just cut that part out. If I remember correctly from the documentary, the timestamp was fucked up. Like, they could, it, it wasn't legible. Right. Cause yeah. Because there's, like, weird shit over it. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, so that's another thing, and why people would take out the timestamp, maybe a suspect walked by, maybe the person responsible or some person related to it walked by, yeah. maybe you could see clearly in the video what happened to her, Yeah. Um, but it was removed. That's a, a pretty big theory, but it's not backed up by a lot of fact. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a, a stab in the dark. Yeah, it's like, oh, the timestamp's fucked up, so... And it looks like it jumped a little bit. I mean, it's a fair assumption. It seems like a fairly easy thing to do. But also, people have said, with a low-budget hotel, people don't have the capability to do that. Or people don't have the... Especially in a place where it's happening so frequently. Are they editing the footage every time, like... Yeah, that's true. Something bad happens. Unless... I don't know. That's just... That's a theory that's out there. I I just feel like it's possible because um, I remember the lady that took over the hotel, that blonde lady, in the documentary, and she talked about how she wanted to make it, you know, new and up and coming. I could see how, you know, her and her gang of people would be able to cover it up pretty easily. That's fair. Now that they were rebranding and they're like, yeah, no, the Night Stalker doesn't live here anymore, guys. Yeah. Bad things don't happen here. Yeah. Which, while I was doing the research for this, I did see a few things about Richard Ramirez and that he would strip off all of his bloody clothes in the alley outside and then climb up the stairs to his room, like, shirtless and covered in blood and people didn't even bat an eye. Yeah. Because it made sense. So, yeah. Elevator footage. What are your thoughts? Like, what's your theory that you lean on the most? Okay, well, after, you know, watching that documentary on Netflix, which, by the way, was really fucking good, I think it, I mean, we, you know, we have differing opinions on this. I didn't think it was ungood. I think I just couldn't pay attention that long. I mean, you do have ADHD, so it's understandable. (laughs) After watching that, my most logical conclusion, besides, like, oh, spooky paranormal, Regarding the elevator footage specifically, I do really think that someone higher up docked the footage before giving okay. it to the police because I know the police didn't get their hands on it for a while. It was it was a couple of days at least. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's not going to take that long to do something like that. And, you know, like I said, the LAPD is corrupt as fuck. And, you know, yep. even them could have been in on it, you know? That's, you don't know. And you know what? I actually kind of had that thought while I was doing this research because one of the reasons that her case was kind of put on the back burner for a few days or a few weeks, whatever, was because I guess some LAPD officer went on a killing spree and he was like, I don't remember if he was arrested or if he was, like, killed at the scene or what it was, but he killed, like, eight people. Yeah. So, especially in an area like this... In a place like the Cecil, 
I would not be surprised if some of the shady characters at the hotel were police officers. Yeah, and, like, I just, honestly, I just, the the lady that owns it now, the lady that was on the Netflix documentary talking about the hotel, I just got a vibe from her. Like, she definitely had things to yes. hide. Like, I, she, I like, she seems vibe. like someone who would commit crime. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. To, make, to keep the reputation of her hotel. And to keep getting money, because she would know that, you know, if that reputation, you know, got out, like, it's good, she's gonna lose money. Yeah, right, exactly. So, you know, and people will do anything for money. I would do anything for money. So, yeah, I just got a weird vibe from her. I don't know, you guys should watch it and, like... Tell us what you yeah. think, man. She, I, she just gave me a vibe. I definitely did not trust that hoe the second we saw her. Oh, but yeah. now that you're saying this, it makes a lot of sense. I Yeah, no. First time I heard her talking and she kept talking about... She loved to emphasize how there was no way that any any of her staff could have done anything. Mm-hmm. And that's bullshit. Yeah. Especially if she had to keep repeating it. It's like, lady, mm-hmm. you get it now, okay? Right. It gets to a point you've mentioned something so many times that you have undone it. And she was so upbeat the whole time and it's like woman we are talking about a girl that we're talking about all the horrific crimes that have happened in this hotel you own stop being so goddamn peppy about it with your stupid blazer (laughs) yeah honestly i just did not like her anyway i hate to rip her apart like this but also no i don't yeah me either uh my theory for the longest time was paranormal because just because (laughs) because it's like everybody on the internet like they looked at this thing that was unexplained they wanted it to be more than it was yeah, they definitely. wanted it to be more exciting than mm-hmm. life is so I used to want to say paranormal but now it's just I, I think it's clear in my opinion at least that it was a girl suffering from a mental health episode who had not been on her meds in a while uh, from her bipolar disorder she hadn't been on her medication she's been alone on her trip for a while like she just had an episode, and I think, I think I think your thought around that and my thought around that changed because you know when we were in high school and stuff like we loved the spooky shit like right. that was the answer to everything. Mm-hmm. But we now we both have backgrounds in psychology, yep. so we just are like, no, no ghosties, you yep. know. It's just it's a sad story if that's the case. Like, and I don't know that I'm right. Yeah, no. Yeah, but that's that's what my brain is telling me. Mm-hmm. And my thought also was possibly just like a fugue state. Yep. People have done wild shit while in a fugue state, which if you guys don't know, a fugue state is just your brain takes you out of the driver's seat and you just kind of you just black, black out. out. Yeah. yeah, and then and there are people who have been in fugue states for a few hours. People who have been in fugue states for a few days and not woken up until they got yeah. hit by a car butt naked in the middle of the freeway. Yeah, and, and they're like, have, "How the fuck did I get people here?" People have been able to you know, completely do everything in, while in a fugue state. I've seen that yeah. women, some woman was able to fucking drive to God knows where, and yep. then she woke up and was like, literally, where what am I? the hell? Yeah. There have been people who sometimes they commit horrible crimes, they are violent, other times they're just out of control. And it's so random. There's no, like, yep. oh, it was because of this. It's so sad because sometimes it'll happen and it's just this completely fine person who might be struggling with some mental disorder or another, but otherwise is a good person, Mm -hmm. might go into a fugue state, kill his family, wake up and say what the fuck happened, and never have one again. Yeah. And you can't necessarily prove that, yes, this man was in a fugue state. Right. And it's like, so that kind of thing happens. So even if it wasn't just like a manic episode, which is what a lot of people are assuming she was just in some kind of manic state, Mm -hmm. could also have been a fugue state. Definitely. Is what I'm thinking, because by all accounts, her family said this was nothing like her. 
Yeah. So that's a possibility. And I'm sure, you know, they've seen her manic episodes before. I'm right. sure they know what her patterns regarding those melt, like, I don't want to say meltdowns, but those episodes episodes are. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's my thought for the elevator video. But the other question is, how did she get into the tank? Yeah. Just, I, that's the only explanation I have regarding the elevator video. I cannot explain any further. Everything about the her getting into the tank just physically Doesn't, does not yeah, make sense. It's not so possible. The first thing is that there is no roof access to patrons of the hotel. Mm-hmm. So the doors leading to the roof all require a key or a code, and if forced open, they set off alarms in the top two floors of the building and at the main desk, and no one heard a thing. Yeah. However, remember when I said that dogs followed her scent trail and lost it near a window? Yep. So, there's some footage that has showed that there may be a way to access the roof from some of the windows by climbing on ledges and onto the fire escape, which leads to the roof. Yeah. So, if she got herself up there, the one major theory is that she climbed out the window onto a ledge and got onto the fire escape and climbed up to the roof. Freaking, like, ten stories up. No, oh, Nineteen God. stories up. No, I cannot. Yeah. I cannot. Which, again, fugue state manic episode you know that uh, yeah that kind of thing is possible so if she got herself onto the roof that's probably how but also the little sniffy dogs searched the roof and did not find her scent and even if her scent was masked by the water and the tank the dogs should have gotten a hit that she'd been up there at all because it's not just like only locating her body it's like the entire trail like, she left, if she were there, she would have left enough scent that the mm-hmm. dogs would have found it. Because they were able to find it inside, mm-hmm. even though it had been, you know, a day or two. And they went up onto the roof and didn't smell a thing. So, even though she, her body, she, theoretically, was right there. Well, I know there's a difference between cadaver dogs and search dogs. So, I'm... They had both. Okay, I would yep. assume that they would have, because otherwise, what? <laughs> yeah, it, they, they did have both. Um, like I said before, there is no ladder or steps onto the tank, and this is like an eight-foot-tall water tower, water tank, that's on concrete blocks. So it's even higher than that. Yeah, and you said the janitor had to bring his he, ladder, Yeah, right? he had to bring a ladder to get up <laughs> so. there. So they're four feet wide, eight feet tall. There's just no feasible way she could have gotten up there. It just it does not make any sense. Mm-hmm. And if someone had put her up there, they also would have needed a ladder or something and they probably would have bruised her body doing so because the hatch Mm -hmm. that she was inside was not very big and to get her body out they actually had to cut the tank open because they couldn't even get her out of the hole. Oh yeah. So if someone was able to get her in there without bruising her body. Yeah. I remember the helicopters got footage of all of that happening Mm -hmm. them you know her still in the tank. Yeah. So some theorists have pointed to the hotel staff as being responsible because they would have keys to the doors, they would know all the passcodes, they would know where the ladders are kept, and they'd probably know the water tanks were up there, and they might even have access to their surveillance tapes and be able to edit them. Yep. So whether or not it, if it were a hotel staff, that would kind of make sense because they would be able to bypass all of that red tape. Yeah. Whether it was a higher up, whether it was just a little lowly employee that the higher ups covered it up for them, mm-hmm. like we were talking about a minute ago. So... That being said, bad things there happened all the time. I'm thinking it possibly could have just been another seedy guest who was there and maybe had been there for a while, was able to get a hold of some keys, knew the hotel well enough to avoid cameras, knew the 
you know, the roof access, that kind of thing. And we're able to get like maybe the passcodes to get onto the roof. I don't know if it was what doors required a key mm-hmm. and what doors required like a number. I don't know. I, the only reason I don't think so is because that person would have had to bring a ladder into the hotel. The main thing is if you're walking into the fucking hotel with a big ass ladder, like someone's right. going to take notice. That's fair. And then he's going to carry it up 19 flights of stairs. Yeah, but no, okay, and sorry, I'm body. just staring into the space. Um, Because now I'm thinking, I've actually seen a few times that the easiest way to be undetected in public is to wear a uniform. And there was, like, a video of a couple of kids put on just a generic maintenance uniform, walked around with a ladder, and got everywhere at Disney World because they were carrying a ladder. That. that was fucking awesome. So, like, I mean, theoretically, <laughs> carrying a ladder, maybe someone's going to hold the door for you and not even see you. Yeah, that's true. It's, I just, I don't know. They, that probably would have been something they should have looked into if there was any, like, outside Fair. maintenance I mean, going on. This was just one theory I read about, and it makes sense. I don't think it's as likely as some of the others, but I, I don't think it's a bad theory. No. You know, they'd know they'd know the ins and outs of the hotel if they'd been staying there long enough. Yeah. And did a little snooping around. Wondering, yeah. Before we get into the possibility of what happened to her, I just want to mention two very weird facts about this case that don't really lend to any one theory or anything. They're just bizarre. Mm-hmm. During her autopsy, one of the tests they performed was the lamb Elisa. It, I hate that. It is her exact fucking name, like, backwards, you know, last yeah. name first. It's an acronym for, like, you know, mad scientific words, please do not make me pronounce them. And it has absolutely nothing to do with her or her name. It's just a tuberculosis test. I which, hate that. Which they ran because there had been a TB outbreak among the people on Skid Row. So yeah. they just did a test on her. And the test just happened to have her name. I hate that. Whoa. Is that not the... Most fucking bizarre coincidence. That's so weird. I, that's like not even a coincidence. Like, who did that? Right, I'm like, <laughs> this This doesn't add anything to the case. It's just, I can't not mention it because it's crazy. Also interesting, her Tumblr blog kept updating for almost a year after she died. Which is not as crazy as it sounds because Tumblr has like the queue option to like post things. Okay. But usually I, th- I think you like set a date and time for them to be posted. I can't imagine that she had planned out all her Tumblr posts for almost a year. Yeah, unless someone was able to hack into her Tumblr. That's what people were, another theory, because her phone was never found on her person or in her hotel room, but mm. it was mentioned on her Tumblr blog that she lost her phone. Mm-hmm. So whether someone stole her phone and posted that, but the things that were posted afterwards after she died were things that she would have posted. Like, she reblogged a lot of pictures of, like, fashion and, like, rooftop nice photos and stuff like that. And it was, like, the same thing. But, I mean, uh, someone who stole her phone and then found out, oh, shit, this is Elisa Lamb's phone. I can get into it. Easily look back at all the posts that she reblogged and made and, I mean, yeah, but I just kind of make it spooky. That's, like, a lot of dedication for... Yeah, but people are fucking weird. That's fair. I mean, it's, it's just, like, a weird fact. Oh, yeah, no, that's creepy as hell, but... Yeah, super strange. Um, okay, so finally, just the possibilities of what happened to her. How did she die? How did she get there? Etc. So, like I said, there are a million and one theories out there. The official cause of death was drowning with bipolar disorder as a factor. Of course, people see the footage and all the weird outside pieces of the case and want it to be paranormal, mm-hmm. want it to be foul play, just because that's more interesting than what it most likely is. 
And however, like I said, it's probably just the sad reality of a girl struggling with mental illness that was not consistently taking her meds and had a psychotic break. Mm-hmm. Is, in, in my mind, probably the most likely, but I might be a cynic, you know? Likely, in my opinion, it was some kind of manic state, maybe a fugue state, I talked about that. She somehow got herself onto the roof, probably through a window, got herself into the water tank, who fucking knows how, and drowned. Maybe on purpose, maybe by accident, maybe she plopped herself in there thinking it was going to be cool and then realized she couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and But, like, maybe she took her clothes off because she had to tread water and thought it would be lighter mm-hmm. if she didn't have her clothes on, that kind of thing. Like, if you're in a manic state and you're just kind of doing shit, it, it's possible. How the fuck she would have gotten up there, I have no idea. But still, a lot of the dots still remain unconnected. Yeah. Like, how'd she get in there? What was happening on the fucking elevator? Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Also, maybe someone killed her. Maybe she was possessed or being tormented by spirits. Who knows? But I... Like, those... I guess... I don't know. Those are the big three. I... It's... It's so hard with this case because it's like, oh, that makes sense. But then there's something that's like, no, that would make that impossible. Right. You know? It's like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, wait, no, the fuck it doesn't. Yeah. So, like, that's why that whole time I was just kind of thinking while you were talking because it's... Our our views on what happened is a bit different. Right. But at the same time, both views in the end don't really add up anyway. Exactly. Like, any of those big three, whether it was demonic possession murder, mental health episode, none of them fully explain. Okay, I will say this. I've been watching a lot of cases on exorcisms, specifically by the Lights Out podcast. They've covered a bunch of cases on real-life exorcisms. And I will say this. While it's not been proven, like, it's not been documented by video or photos, there has been, you know, priests, um, people from the Catholic faith that have been in exorcisms. It has been said that people who are possessed have been seen to crawl up the wall somehow. They've been seen right. being they able to levitate. Weird shit. But the thing is, is that in all these exorcisms, this weird behavior starts and it spans over, increases as time goes on. So it would be weird for, okay, yeah, she's showing weird behavior, but then for her to just so suddenly go into, like, this Hulk mode and just kill herself. Yeah. You know? Because, like, in all the exorcism cases that I was listening to, it sounds like it was a slow regression. Right. And hers, she was only there for a few days. Yeah. And it doesn't really make sense in the fact that, like, in all these cases that I was reading about, like, the demons weren't necessarily trying to kill the person right away. Right. It was more of a form of torture, you know? Yeah. I guess, I mean, every demon's got a different MO, I guess. It, It could have been a combination. Like, it could have been... She was having a mental episode because of ghosts. Yeah. And ghosts, you know, and they kind of stacked on top of each yeah. other. I have bad mental health. Ghost attacked me. Yeah. That made my mental health worse, so the ghost attacked me more. You know, it could have been a mix-up, a mashup, I guess. Yeah. In my opinion, the, the theory that I lend to most is the fact that somebody else was involved maybe even two people to make could the job easier. Yeah. And I do believe that those people that were involved were either staff 
you know, the higher-ups were like, what the fuck did you do? We Now we gotta cover your ass, kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that would be a likely story, too. Just, like, in an area like that, it's very possible that you can hire an employee who is not a fantastic person. Yeah. Ends up doing something bad that's gonna make the hotel look bad. Yeah. And you have to cover it up to keep your reputation from spiraling down again. Yeah. And the only thing that sort of disproves that theory is that, you know, they found nothing on her body. I would also like to mention that post-mortem exams, people will purposely leave things out. That's happened in I know, so many cases. I know there were a lot of delays with this autopsy report coming out. Like, they kept having more setbacks and it took a while for the autopsy report to come out entirely. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. That's possible. I don't know. This is one of those ones that's like... It seems like there could be one really good answer, but then... It's like this one little thing is like... Nope. Yeah. It's it's a hard one. I, I want to know what you guys think, though. Like, if there's a theory that we didn't talk about and you want to let us know, please do. If you completely fucking disagree with me, let me know. Uh, I'm used yeah. to it. Because even, like, almost fucking ten years later, we still don't know. And, still don't know. And yeah. it's just... And her family, like, tried to sue the hotel and it got dismissed. Of course. I yeah. mean, what else is new? Right. But the people who sued the hotel for drinking water from her dead body, they won... So, also, just a little fun fact. Uh, Have you ever seen How to Get Away with Murder? I stopped at, like, season two. That's that's It got really fucking repetitive. Okay, spoiler alert right now. If you have not seen How to Get Away with Murder, you, first of all, should really watch it. Season one is some of the best TV I've ever seen in my life. Season two is okay, season three, and then I just stopped watching. But, like, season one really is so good. So here's the spoiler. Um, So, in How to Get Away with Murder... There's the body, like, the girl goes missing, they find her body in the water tank on top of a sorority house. Yep. And it was, like, because the water was coming out black, and then they found her body in the tank. And as soon as I saw that, I was, like, watching it with Redacted, and I was like, oh, oh my god, it's Elisa Lamb, dude, they, like, based it off Elisa Lamb! And she was like, I don't know what that is. Of course. (laughs) And I was like, that's fair, but oh my god, it's Elisa Lamb! So, um, when I was doing this research, it mentioned a, a movie called Dark Water, which I guess has a lot of similarities to yeah. this case, and then it mentioned from How to Get Away with Murder, and I was like, ha-ha! Yep. I wasn't the only one who got it. But yeah, uh, that's it. The very fucking bizarre case of Elisa Lamb and how she ended up in the water tank. I'm Wrap sure we'll, we'll have some wild thoughts about it within the next couple days, and we can post an Instagram story of us screaming our revelations yeah. <laughs> at the camera. Or just, you know, screaming Hail Satan like Richard Ramirez. We'll see. Do what you gotta do, Emily. You know, whatever's gonna get you through grad school, I guess. (laughs) True. So, in the meantime, if you have questions, comments, concerns, you want to give us your feedback, your theories, whatever you've got, or if you have any personal spooky stories of pretty much any kind and would like them shared on one of our up-and-coming campfire episodes, uh, we've been accumulating some good stories for that, so I'm excited. Uh, let us know. You can email us at ucf.pod at gmail.com, or you can follow us, DM us, message us, whatever us, at UCF Podcast, right? On Instagram yes. and Twitter? yep, yep. There we go. Send us some dank memes. Or come see our dank memes. <laughs> we We're make not some bad. pretty fire memes. And in the meantime, stay spooky, my friends. See ya.